Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? It's another bonus episode. I'm dropping this midweek, and it's rather special. It's special because it's what I like to call cross-pollination, insofar as I um, am a fan of and have been listening to the Red Handed podcast uh, hosted by Hannah and Saruti for a while, and just think the way that they put together this true crime podcast is absolutely brilliant. And I know from the Facebook forum that many listeners also enjoy a bit of true crime. So I thought, well, what's the harm in just getting us around a table and having a chinwag about all things true crime? Why on earth would you want to put yourself through that every week, doing that kind of research? Anything that's really given them the heebie-jeebies and more. And also the fact that a bit like me, they had this idea to start a podcast and then started using search engines to go, how do I record audio files? So it's kind of a... A nice, what would you say, a nice cocktail of true crime, how to start a podcast and some hilarity ensues. Hannah and Saruti are really, really good at what they do and I really enjoy how they put together their podcasts and you'll hear all about that in this particular episode. And I'm joined again, as I'm sure many of you will be delighted, by my brother Gavin because it was actually Gavin who said, oh, you need to listen to this uh, red-handed podcast. It's really good. So that's what you're hearing. That's the bonus show. It is Emma Gunn's ex red handed. I don't know whether that's correct. Whatever it is, we just hung out and we had a nice chat. So there we go. Um, I hope that you enjoy. And if you want to get in touch with the show, just email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide into my DMs on Twitter and Instagram where I am at Emma Gunn's. And you can also join that lovely Facebook group of mine. Uh, the link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming or downloading this episode of the show. Thank you once again, and I hope you enjoy this cross-pod with Red Handed. I'm so happy to be welcoming Hannah and Saruti from Red Handed Podcast onto the Emma Gunn Show, and regular guest and contributor, my brother Gavin. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Um, I know that there are a lot of listeners of The Emma Gunn Show who also dig a true crime podcast, uh, as do I. And a little while ago, Gavin, on my right here, said to me, you've got to listen to this podcast by these girls, Red Handed. It's really, really good. Check out the Amy Bradley episode. And hence a fan was born. So I'm really curious, why on earth did you start a true crime podcast? Well... 
So Saruti and I didn't know each other two years ago. I had uh, a thanks. I was living with an American. I had a Thanksgiving party at my house, and a friend of Saruti's was also staying with us. So he was like, "Oh, do you mind if I bring my friend?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, whatever, no problem." And um, just drank quite a lot of wine and ended up shouting at each other about John Benet Ramsey <laughs> uh, in the kitchen. There were children. There were children present, but we didn't care. A, a lot of a big, confused American family who were visiting Hannah were very concerned about why we were drunkenly yelling about the murder of a five-year-old. Yeah. There were a lot of theories there. So um, we just, I think it was also the fact that <laughs> we met each other. We both realized that we were fascinated by true crime, which probably isn't that rare a thing. But mm. I think what was rarer was that we'd met another person in England who listened to podcasts mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. And we listened to the same podcast and we were like, this is even more wild. And you know, when you're like, we're drunk and you're like, we should start a podcast together. That's something we should definitely do. Like when you're in the toilet at a club and you're like, oh, you're my best friend. I'm never going to see that. Again. <laughs> <laughs> we should start a business. Let's yeah. start a restaurant. We can do this. Let's um, commit this to audio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And um, I left thinking, <laughs> I left thinking firstly that your name was Anna. Did you? I did. <laughs> I went to text our mutual friend and say, was it Anna or Hannah? And he was like, it's definitely Hannah. And um, I also left thinking I would never see you ever yeah. again. Um, then we went on a friend date. We went to Aww. the Blind Beggar on the Milem Road uh, for about six hours on a Sunday. And then we both were like, are you serious about this? Because I'm quite serious about this. Um, and then we did it. We did. And here we are. Yeah. And did you start with John Bonet? No, we've never, we've done, never done John Bonet. <gasps> Because no. that, again, I mean, we've had many a conversation, Gavin and I, about John Bonet Ramsey and what we think happened. And all the, like every time any of us discovers a new podcast or something where they cover it and there's a new bit of information, we, well, I certainly get excited, which is wrong and bad. Yeah, I've noticed that you, you don't really do the unsolved podcast. You tend to sort of steer clear of those and you tend to do cases which have some sort of resolution. And I wonder if that was a conscious decision. The thing is, actually, that's a really interesting um, point that you bring up because I personally love a mystery. I love a mystery. But our listeners say that they hate unsolved cases. So I guess it's out of respect for them. I guess so. And then, But it's a funny one because people, I think people like the like, I like it when they get them at the end. Um, <laughs> but then some of our best performing episodes are mysteries. Mm. So it's a real funny feedback oh. loop. So you just have to pepper the feed with the it occasional is. mystery. We sneak yeah. them in every now and again. But people also say they don't like the ones that are too gory or too violent. They're lying because yeah. they are our best performing episodes you by far. You outdid yourselves at Halloween. Thanks. I have to say it's the Thank you first very time in a long time where <laughs> I'm going to, I guess, the, what was was the, the, episode? the, the most savoury oh. way I can put it was fetal abduction. Uh, there are a couple yeah. of bits I thought, right, skip. No, she's still talking about that. <laughs> yep, skip forward yep. again. <laughs> and then when I got home, I then went and checked to make sure I had no secret um, trapdoors <laughs> in the ceiling. Yeah, there's a flat above me. So I thought, so thanks, guys. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's the nicest thing anyone could say to us. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I must admit, I'm not a big fan of crime. Generally, on many levels. Like committing it, being a <laughs> victim <laughs> of it. <laughs> exactly. Because I find it too, too real. Too real and too scary. I love my fantasy crime. Um, but so when you're doing all your research, when you're going deep, because you do, and that was the thing about um, when you first said to me about Red Handed, you, you talked about the Amy Bradley episode and said there was stuff in there I'd never heard before. Like how do you go deep, wear these cases as, as a second skin, and then come out alive? Cognitive dissonance. Yeah. <laughs> Wait one second, John's coming in. 
I don't know how long that was. I realise I've lost the aircon on it. It's only, it's only a little thing, but I just thought I'd tell you guys now. Okay. Um, okay. Got you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think, so we just carry on. I've just checked. Are we still recording? We must be. We're recording. Okay, okay sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... In, I think we both, we take it in turns to research each case every week. We started off, um, I think, well, the first one we ever did. We both researched it, but we just came back with the same stuff. So we were like, oh, this isn't a good use of our mm. time. So personally, the way I would do it, especially uh, Amy, Bra- Amy Bradley is a big case mm. because it's super famous. And the more famous a case is, the more stuff there is on mm. it. So the way I'll do it is I'll just find everything I can get my hands on, read all of it. And then I try and trust that my brain has already written it has already told the story. Mm. So when I come to do it myself physically, it feels less scary because I kind of have already done it. Like mm. it, as you are reading through, you can pick out how, because what we're doing essentially is storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it's just picking the parts of the story that we're, the order we're going to tell it in and how it's going to be different to every other show that's done Amy Bradley. Uh, yeah, and do you have to keep uh, your ears on the competition um, so that you don't replicate? I mean... It sounds kind of bad, but we try not to really pay attention to what anyone else is doing because mm. I think we did at the start. We were like, oh, this person's just covered this case. Maybe we should steer clear of it. Mm. Or I think the key thing we try to hold ourselves to um, when we're doing sort of topic generation for which episode we're going to do is do we have something to add to the conversation about this particular topic? Mm. And the key thing that we like to think with Red Handed that it's not just about, oh, here's some really grisly crime that happened, or it's just the facts and storytelling. Mm. It's also our opinion, but it's also about the thing that we feel really passionately about, which is the political, the social, the cultural aspects mm. that feed into a certain piece of crime. And we can't always deliver that. So it is, if you take something like Amy Bradley, what else has not been part of the conversation before? Or mm. how can we interpret this case and hopefully add something that will make people think or challenge something about that case. And I think when you know you ask, how do we sort of do the research week in, week out, mm. and then still be able to carry on, I actually find it weirdly, I don't know, comforting in some sense, because I feel like the more I know, surely the better protected I am from something like this happening to me. Yeah, and I think we're just, we're just quite well practiced now. Like mm. we've done an episode a week for the past 18 months, mm-hmm. so you just get good at being like, right, it's coming out on, well, Wednesday for patrons, Thursday for everyone else. You've just got to get it done. And then it's quite a nice feeling when you've been thinking about quite a horrible case and it's all just been in your head for a week. Yeah. And then you can go shut the box on it next one. I think that's it. And doing I, it. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, actually, I think in the entire year and a half we've been doing this, uh, both of us have only cried at one yeah. episode each, two separate episodes okay. that we've done the research for. Which ones are they? Um, for me, it was the Fred and Rose West Oh my two parter. Good lord. It was a lot. I'm so sorry for all the DMs while I was listening no, to that. No, okay, <laughs> we love it. We can't get enough of the DMs. It we love was them. A, was like a such a visceral reaction mm. for me to do it. And you know, I don't want to upset people. That wasn't why I then felt like we need to put this together, but I felt so like affected by it that when we put it out and then people were affected by mm. it, it felt like I don't know, like it felt okay, but it was because we don't want to dehumanize the victims it's never about making fun of them it's about um talking about these cases and why this kind of thing happens and you know i said in the episode when we decided to do fred and rose west i was like oh yeah i'll do that i know that case oh my god Mm. reading about that i called hannah the the second day after i'd been on the case and i was just in pieces it really upset me 
and yours has been more recently, hasn't it? Yeah, so we, this one we haven't recorded yet. Um, I'm, we're, I'm actually going to go out to New York to record it oh, in wow. next month in February. Um, can I say what it is? Can you? Yeah. Okay, so it's a Central Park Five. Because um, it's the 30th anniversary. The 30th anniversary this year. The Wilding case. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we thought we'd do a bit of a, a bumper episode on it. And of, like brief summary, mm-hmm. five kids are convicted of raping a woman in Central Park, amongst other assaults that also happened that people conveniently forget about. Um, there's five of them, and there's one of them, whose name is Corey Wise, when they're being questioned by police which some people argue is coerced confessions and that the police are really sort of being very aggressive with them. All of them have a parent come and try and get them or they have a parent in the room when they're being video interviewed and Corey Wise, no one comes for him. <gasps> so he's on his own and he is 16, the rest of them are 14. But that's just that, I've got goosebumps even thinking about it. And he's got this hearing problem and you can see, I think, in the video interview, there's a, a prosecutor there and there's a detective there and he's really watching when they're talking. So I think he's trying to read their lips a bit. Like he's really mm. struggling mm. to keep up with what's going on and he's a kid and like, he ends up going to prison for much longer than the rest of them because he's tried as an adult because he's 16. So that was my one that uh, reduced me to a gibbering wreck. Yeah. It's going to be a great episode, though. I know. The thing is, <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, but I think it, it, we're not sort of cold or made of ice and not caring about these people. But mm. I think if we approach it dispassionately, it allows us to have perspective on the case that we might not be able to have if we're just saying, oh, isn't this awful? Isn't this mm. awful? Isn't this awful? Because that's not adding anything to the conversation. Everybody knows it's awful. Mm-hmm. If we take a step back and do it dispassionately, we can do them a bit more justice in mm. our retelling of their story, we think. It's interesting you, you brought that case up because the, the Central Park one, because one of the ones I know I was really furious and I listened by the time I got the end of it was the Mark Dutroux case. Because mm. um, oh that is as close to, I mean, as much as horrific as what he, he did was, it was in the incompetence where people think this has to be some sort of cover up mm-hmm. here. Where there's, you know, this isn't allowed to happen. And, and that one, and I could actually see why. Actually, when I looked at the pictures, you know, this, this was a guy who um, was a pedophile murderer in Belgium, and he seemed to slip through the, the net so many times. And when the truth came out, literally Belgium came to a standstill, and people were out on the streets. They had this sort of, this is before so, uh, Facebook as well, isn't it? So I don't yes, know how yeah. they organized it. And thousands, hundreds of thousands of people came out onto the streets dressed in white to, like, protest this, you know, what's the government doing, what's the mm. police doing, and... I don't think that really got much coverage here, but you know, the I remember it now you said it. Yeah. on government buildings and stuff. It was there. You can see that everyone had the same reaction to that. that yeah, was, mm. we have to be quite careful about cases where we come across mm-hmm. police incompetence because it's something mm. that people feel quite strongly about. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you remember a few, maybe last year when Lush had that campaign in their. Um, shop windows yes. that was a policeman half in like Bobby uniform mm-hmm. and half in normal person uh, and it said paid to lie underneath it um, mm, the and spy cops the spy cops mm. yeah and it was just this uproar which I, I thought that it was um, not necessarily the most delicate way of asking that question but I don't want to live in a, cu- in a country you can't question the police in mm. what's, what's that you know it's a dictatorship so I think it's important to Ask questions, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all we're doing. We're never saying that we could have done it better. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're just seeing absolutely. what happened and asking questions. And that's the thing. It's about not being afraid to 
when when credit is due, we will call them super cops and we'll say <laughs> how amazing um, a piece of poli- police investigation that person did and how much recognition they deserve for that. Mm. Incredibly difficult work. It's not like it is on the TV when it's just like, oh, look, we'll um, enhance and enlarge and clear. And it's like, <laughs> exactly. <Zoom in>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually just really loads and loads of paperwork and mm. loads and loads of methodical following up and knocking on doors. Mm. And these people deserve credit when they nail it. And I just think in some cases when there is willful ignorance, when there is prejudice, like we talked about with the Stephen Port case or other cases, we talk about the less dead all the time, the idea that some people in society are worth less than other people in society as dictated by things like our police institutions. And that is completely wrong. That's Mm -hmm. corruption. We should call that out. And um, I think that's something we feel really passionately about. So yeah, we, we don't actually get too much hate for the fact that we call out the police, which I'm surprised by constantly. Yeah, yeah I'm waiting for the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, as you say, you have, I remember, um, for example, Clive Driscoll. You you know, when you kind mm-hmm. of covered his work, you were kind of, you know, cheering him on. It oh, King a, Clive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love that man. Legend. So. I, think, I think that's what, with, with the Stephen Lawrence case, like mm-hmm. he's just this sort of almost a knight in shining armour that comes in right at the end. Um, so, yeah, you have to when good work is done. Actually, mm. the one we're doing in a couple of weeks, Elaine O'Hara, cracking police work in that case with the Garda in Ireland, like unbelievable evidence collection and snooping into phone records and wi- figuring out where he was at this time and which country and which cell phone tower pinged and like my get my serial moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when we see good work, we'll call it out. Uh, and bad ones. I've just been listening to the Chris Watts episode on the train mm. on the way in, and the thing I love most about it is the fact that he's sending these texts to his mistress, but also Googling things like, how do you get rid of a body? He is and then, a can police Can police track your texts? <laughs> yeah. They can, and your Google searches. And, and also Googling things like love lyrics and um, love letters so that he can plagiarise those to impress his mistress because he's not even that creative. No, you, you, cl- you clearly hate that guy. <laughs> I mean, if family <coughs> annihilators or something, um, like we mentioned in the episode, we haven't talked too much about, but it's the, the other ca- people that we talk about. You can talk about the mad v bad, like the people who are doing it because they don't know what they're doing, mm. and then you have the people that do it and they have a very clear motivation for why they're doing it. And both of those you can sort of not, under- not empathise, you can understand. Mm. Um, with Chris Watts, it is, and that type of killer, it is so inexplicable what he does. People are like, oh, it's because so he could be with his mistress. Millions of people leave their wives and their husbands so they could go be with somebody else. That's not why he did it. Mm. Because they were in debt. No, they don't. Millions of people are in debt. That's not why they kill their spouses. It's because of a certain type of person and the greed and the narcissism that he has that just makes people, particularly women and children usually in these cases, completely disposable. And that's what is so infuriating about cases like that. Just leave. Just leave her. <laughs> Just go. Exactly. No, it's, um, he's sick. Well, he's got himself a new life. It's just in, in prison. prison, writing letters to loads of women. Exactly. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He gets heaps of letters. Because mm-hmm. um, he he's not, I mean, he, Ryan Reynolds will play him in the movie. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> if, well, it, well, Ryan will definitely get off. He's got a look of Ryan about him. I, I think I saw one picture of the guy. I vaguely remember. I think <coughs> you're right, you know, I think Thank that's you. excellent that's casting. People did comment that when we posted a picture of him. But um, yeah, he gets hundreds and hundreds of letters from women offering all sorts of things from uh, conjugal visits to banana bread. Like, it's very, very weird. And I've read these letters. <laughs> Hybristophilia is a, is a 
weird thing. Like women, I think it's mainly women who are attracted to dangerous men. Yeah. Well, Reggie Gray got married when he was in prison, didn't he? It's like I think a feeling of like, I'm with the most dangerous man in the world and he'll protect me. And therefore, I don't from need to worry about prison. Yeah, yeah. Yes, from inside prison. Do you think prison. it's more about transparency? Do you just think the dating yeah, yeah. world is such? Just like actually, I know, yeah, I know so his grim. flaws. I can live with them, and <laughs> I don't have to see him. I can just write to him. Exactly. I don't know. I just want the maybe. dating pool is getting smaller and smaller. Oh, um, don't we know it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there's a new app there. There's a, you know, Ooh. like honest, you know, you just like guys just post swipe the criminal prisoners. Exactly, and, yeah. criminal pen pals, criminal yeah. love. There's something in there. There's something in there. Crimeda. Crime. Crime. Oh God, of oh, course yeah. it's crime. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Trademark. No one That's copied that. That's your million dollar idea. Oh. That down. <laughs> it's not even ten o'clock. <laughs> Hurrah! Someone get the champagne. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but no, yeah, it's very, very weird that he gets so. Well, I don't know. Is it that weird? Maybe it's quite common. But then <laughs> Stephen Avery was the same, wasn't he? There, mm-hmm. making a murderer case. There was, um, you know, that seems to happen a lot. Yes, I, there are ten a penny apparently. These women. So doing this for eighteen months, doing an episode a week. At any point, have you ever thought maybe I'm a little bit desensitized to this? Maybe I need to take a break and watch. I don't know the Notebook. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, every week I can't people are like oh have you watched this uh, have you watched Killing Eve have you watched um, You is that what the new one mm, yeah, um, yeah. but I can't watch any crime related anything in my spare time because Anymore. I'm crimed out <laughs> like I just I can't I because I'm constantly thinking about it in a different way now I mm. think whereas I used to just watch it constantly now I'm just like oh, I've just got to watch Untucked on repeat. That's just all I've got to do. I can't. We'll I come can't handle that. any new information. I know what happens. I know who goes home, and it's yeah. fine. <laughs> I think that's exactly the same way I've turned into taking something that you felt passionately about, almost like a, just a side thing that you used to enjoy, mm. and now it's like turning that into a job or mm. a side gig has bec- made it that I can't enjoy it I'm Mm. doing air quotes enjoy it in my spare time anymore I used to devour true crime (coughs) books having Mm -hmm. said that I did watch um, over the Christmas holiday I watched Murder Mountain that series on Netflix about the um, uh, the fields in California where they grow marijuana Mm. and loads of people go missing it's a very good series I would recommend it I did watch that but I think because I was just off work over Christmas I was like well maybe I can handle this (laughs) that's very interesting okay so let's talk about that because we cover this a lot on the Evergarden show Red Handed was a side hustle, is still sort of straddling side hustle Mm -hmm. slash full-time hustle. Congratulations, first of all. But also, was that the goal when you set out to... I I think it was being terrible, um, I don't know, to to look back on it and say that we just started this with no goal Mm. at all. We started this with no idea of what could happen, where it would go. We were like literally in Hannah's kitchen trying to upload the images that we needed to to even set ourselves up on Podbean we <laughs> couldn't figure out how to do it we had to call my dad to do it like we just <laughs> had no JPEG <laughs> sorry Mr. Parler <laughs> we just didn't know what we were doing we didn't have any idea we just thought and the first episode we did I don't know if you heard we were locked literally locked in a locked cupboard, in cupboard. <laughs> we got ourselves locked in a cupboard like we just didn't know what we were doing and we didn't think if I'm honest I just thought this is too much hard work if no one listens, but maybe 50 people will listen mm. and that will be pretty cool. And I just think neither of us had any idea that this would turn into this. No, and it's a question that people ask me quite mm. often and I, I don't ever feel like I have a succinct answer for it. I don't remember what I thought would happen when mm. we started it. 
Um, but as we've gone through, like it's sort of, especially now we've had a bit of a gear shift because I'm doing my notice period at my job and I will go full time in the next sort of four weeks. And we've got lots of things coming up. So right now is like a trot constantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's it's for the wins. Exactly. You don't, I don't begrudge the time I spend on it or anything. And because we've done so however, however many now, 78 episodes, mm. I have to trust that like, it's never not got done. Mm-hmm. So that's, you have to keep that in mind as you're doing it. We've done it so many times. Doing it four more times before it's full time is not going to kill me. Yeah. The sacrifice feels worth it. It is evenings, commuting time, weekends. I feel like I work right now seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And it is exhausting. And I feel like it is um, a sacrifice that I pay for, but also the people in my life probably pay for because... I'm tired basically all yeah. of the time. And <laughs> um, maybe also slightly distracted because I'm thinking about what's the next case. The case we're doing next week is um, is uh, is intense. And the thing that we want to do is always try and add n- as... M- basically, we are um, obsessively ambitious with the content. Mm. That is the only thing we've ever been obsessive about. It's never been about how do we hustle this? How do we get this? How do we smooth this person and get on this show or anything? Everything like that has come organically Mm. and I think it is as a result of being obsessive about the content Mm -hmm. and not trying to do anything else people badgered us for six months to even set up a place that they could buy t-shirts because we're just keeping our heads above water (laughs) with the content I don't have time to sort out t-shirt merch merch for you um and so I think I think keeping everything else on the back burner just focusing on the content has allowed this to happen by accident which is nice yeah it does feel like it's Mm. by accident (laughs) Kind of, I think. <laughs> Which I know is, is always is a really unhelpful thing to hear when you're asking, mm. you know, how have you done this or how have you managed to get... I can remember going to talks and stuff when I was a teenager or maybe in my early 20s and these people were just being like, well, right place, right time, really. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help me, does it? <laughs> um, and I, so I'm very aware that I'm quite an unhelpful person because <laughs> it has just sort of happened by accident. No, but the thing that, the thing that you have is consistency. Yes, I think that's true. And I think that when we were, I'm very glad that when we first started out and didn't know what we were doing, we were like, right, we'll do one every week. Because we just as easily could have done every other week, which is what quite a lot of Mm -hmm. true crime shows do. And I completely understand why they do it, because it's just time management, Mm -hmm. really. But we perhaps foolishly didn't do that. But what it's meant is that our momentum has been quicker Mm -hmm. than it would have been if we were every other week. Mm. So I think probably we wouldn't necessarily be where we are now if we were doing every other week. I don't know. Maybe. You know. Committing to a show a week, is a, it's a lot of work. Yes, absolutely. And I think it, it's now very much a trend to have a podcast. Like if mm-hmm. I say to people now, I've got a podcast, it's like eye rolls. Like back in the day, if someone says, oh, I'm a beauty blogger and people had eye roll um, because everyone just thinks, oh, God, everyone's got a podcast these days. But putting out weekly content. And I was saying to Gavin beforehand, the research you have to do in order to be able to publish. It's different from prepping for an interview. Like you have to fact check, I'm guessing, because woe betide you if you get something, oh God, yeah. oh my God, if there's an inaccuracy. Not. If we're not sure, we just don't put it in. Mm-mm. Or we'll say, we don't know, but this is what we think. And prefix everything that is your opinion with this is yeah, just my it's opinion. constant ass covering. It is. Um, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, that's a really good point about the whole people eye-rolling about podcast situation. I mean, yeah, like, I used to be really embarrassed about it. I used to not tell anyone. Um, And I spoke to my friend Maya about it. And I was like, I just, I don't really know. 
I just feel like it's such a wanky millennial thing to have. And she was like, Hannah, I work for a YouTube channel. We are wanky millennials. Just embrace it. So I've embraced it now. And I'm not embarrassed anymore. I do just think there's that thing of, I've got a podcast. Oh, nice. Well done, you. Yeah. Because people don't know how much work it is. Mm. What's great about it is everyone can do it. Yeah. But you can do it if you're prepared to work really hard. That's exactly it with podcasts. That It's great because they're cheap to set up, cheap to free to set up. Mm. Anyone can do it. But that's the problem is that anyone can do one. And I think with podcasts, it is that it's a superstar economy. It is like... People only have so much time to listen to X number of podcasts. Mm. And therefore, it will be if you are just a little bit better or try to be just a bit better than your competition, you can take just so much more of that market share. And I think by focusing on content, that's what we're trying to do. We Mm. don't I mean, we need so many things to happen that haven't happened because we just focus on like our logo. Yeah, is shit <laughs> like quite frankly it, it, it's true I'm uh, you know I made that the day we decided to set this up on Canva for one dollar I don't think it's that bad do you not think oh, thank no. you <laughs> we do although Gavin <laughs> Gavin drew mine and he may have a, a mate's rate available oh I love yours <laughs> yeah, so that was a there was some funny picture on Instagram because you said, oh, I want you to draw eyes. So I think it was no, Christmas and I was no, literally no. to your head in different positions. <laughs> no, I said, could you please do my logo for me? Okay. And I said, what are you thinking? And you said the eyes. And then you went off and didn't say anything to me for a while. And then I came upstairs and said, do you need a picture of me? And then you forcibly put my head in a headlock and took a picture. Right, now stand there and don't move. Yes, I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to draw this thing on Photoshop. Yeah. Brilliant. But yes, we, we need we need desperately yeah, need rebranding. We're on it. <laughs> but it's really, designers, hit us up. It's exciting times, though. Yeah. To be able to put out that content. I, I guess you get, I'm guessing you get an incredible amount of feedback. Yeah. And people interact with the shows. And has anyone who's ever been involved in a case contacted you? Not yet, but what people tend to do is, I know somebody related to this case, or this happened in my town, please cover this case. And we're actually yet to getting around to doing one like that, but it's definitely something we want to do. I suppose we kind of did with the Sims family, but it wasn't a a victim. We had a a lawyer in Florida get in touch with us being like, I have all of this information on this reasonably Mm -hmm. famous case of a family were murdered and there's one suspect that everyone kind of thinks basically did it but they got away with it and I have all of these extra court documents I have these transcripts do you want them to do an episode oh wow um so we did that and I think that was one of the most uh nerve-wracking ones for me because I went this guy knows this case inside out and he's going to be listening and he thought it was all right so I was like whew oh absolutely um he he really loved the episode that we did on us so no it was very good and I think yeah, the the whole fact checking thing is is a big thing, especially when we do cases that are particularly um, socially or politically, or I don't know that people have at the front of their mind. Mm. Like when we did Stephen Lawrence, we were scared. We were really scared to talk about Stephen Lawrence. It's a huge case in this country. Like everyone has an opinion about it. It's um, poking around in a space that isn't something that people are necessarily totally comfortable about hearing or talking mm. about. We recently did the Dylan Roof church shooting case in America where that um, white nationalist went into an African-American church and shot 12 people. And I mean, that's scary to put yourself out because it's not just here are the facts. We mm. we talk about it. And mm. I think that's the fear. We put episodes out and we wait yeah. tensely. <laughs> and if we get away with it for two days, we're generally okay. We're generally fine, yeah. <laughs> I'm scared about Central Park Five, yeah. for sure. Because it's such a... People either think that they're completely innocent and total victims of, uh, in, uh, what's it called, structural violence, 
and uh, institutional, racism. institutional racism, um, and then other people think that they definitely did it, and have now been their sentences have been vacated, and people tend to be in one camp or the other. And I don't necessarily think you have to be in one or the other. I am somewhere in the middle. Mm. So that's nerve-wracking because you don't want people to be like, how dare you? Yeah. They're obviously totally innocent. But I think as long as you back it up with facts, and everyone can talk about everything. I think that's something we come across. People being like, well, who are you to say yeah. this? I'm like, well, I'm just a person. Politicians mm. are just people who decide to stand up and say stuff. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's, you know... Everyone can talk about everything, I think. I don't think you should limit conversation because you're scared of what the repercussions may be. Yeah. Good point. A very good point. Is there a case that you would be too scared to touch or just think, oh, I just don't want don't to get my hands on that? That's a good question. I don't think that's one we're too scared to touch now because I felt like we've... Um, if you'd have asked us this maybe 10 months ago, I would have said so many cases. Mm -hmm. But I think we've we've gone through it and because we haven't had backlash from the cases that we have done that are a bit more controversial, we feel a growing sense of confidence that we can take on any case now and mm. talk about it um, reasonably. And that's the key thing that we're trying to do. But I think there are cases that we just wouldn't do because I is it worth- I don't particularly find them interesting. Or is it worth us dipping off it? It's like Madeleine McCann. Everyone is obsessed with Madeleine McCann. They want us to, we get, probably um, a request a week to talk about Madeleine McCann. And I just don't know if we have anything to add to that conversation. And so, I don't know. Yeah, some of the like really, similarly, mm. the like the big ones like Ted yeah. Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, mm. are very interesting cases. And I was just gonna say I've grown up with them, that's weird. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, do we have anything to add to that conversation? Probably not. No. And there are other crimes and other people that need more st mm. more of their story told. Why would we focus our time just telling the Ted Bundy story again? Mm. Even though Netflix looked like they're going to go to town on yeah, it again. No. And the movie. Like, doesn't everyone Zac just know? playing yes. Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> See, that, that was another thing I was going to ask you about, is the glamorization of mm, serial killers. 100%. That because is. that's how a lot of people are... Um, absorbing uh -huh. their knowledge about a case like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, there's that movie Dahmer. Did you watch that over Christmas? I forget. You watched something, didn't you? That was no, like well, no, the most recent thing I watched on Serial Killers was that show on Netflix, Mindhunter. Mm. The uh, David Fincher show about how when they first, the FBI first started yeah. saying, we need to find out. They hadn't actually coined the term serial killers at this point. Mm. So they just went and found what they called spree killers or series murderers and tried to understand the motivations so that's kind of the thing i was watching there oh okay but there was that um movie that came out my friend dharma mm. about his sort of childhood and his upbringing and i think you're really right to bring up that whole point that in the media um the glamorization of serial killers is like such a disgustingly seedy underbelly to the true crime community i mm. think and I think we try to stay away from that as much as possible. We're not here to glamorize these people. We're here to talk about it. And also, let's be honest, like we're not just doing it because let's give these people a voice. Of course we want to do that, but it's also fascinating and that's why we talk about it. But I think the idea of people who get like serial killer tattoos or collect like weird memorabilia, I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't romanticize and don't um, glamorize these people. They're horrific, horrific people. Like... It's weird, it's, but it happens so much. 
Yeah, so often. Just as, I, I think it's fair to say we both have quite a morbid fascination with it or we wouldn't be sitting where we're sitting now. But it, there's a difference, I think, between being fascinated by it and glorifying and romanticising, mm. and that's something we're quite conscious of. But it doesn't feel like a natural reaction for, for us anyway mm-hmm. when we read about someone who's done something awful. We're like, but why did they mm, do that? Rather yeah. than, this is great. Like, it, I don't know, it's a weird... Well, let's see, when you talked about this, because I know some people in your office have been watching, De- um, not Dexter, you. Mm. Yeah. And you I found really, I struggled with, because you do sympathise, or I certainly did, maybe that's a flaw in my character, I sympathise with the protagonist. I watched you last weekend, and I had read before I watched it, just to Google to see what the reviews were, that um, the guy who plays um, the main character in it, Penn Badgley, Badgley, I think his name is, he was telling women off who were tweeting him saying how much they loved his character in <laughs> you. And I was like, he's not meant, to, he's an anti-hero in it. He's not meant to be like um, a great person for you to fall in love with. Gavin, do you know anything about the background of you? Um, the thing that I was interested in, I read about from that was the um, the social engineering that goes on. He, uh, how he very, just gets a few small bits of mm. information and then he's able to kind of get into this girl's life and, yeah, I don't know. Some, uh, By social media in the yeah, main. Yeah, essentially. And I thought that was quite interesting and that's quite current. And I wonder when you have your first social media murder case. I mean, there, there's a... Uh, oh, there, there is one. There's... Um, oh, God, I can't remember her name. Um, this woman in America basically catfished her entire family into a murder. What? Well, yeah, I'm going I'm to cover it. I'll put it on the list. I can't remember no. her name. It's like Elaine. I'm just going to embarrass myself by not remembering <coughs> her name. But um, it, it happens. Oh. And I suppose Grinder Killer to a certain extent. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he was catfishing all of the people that he lured out there. But I think you is, is interesting, and I take your point, that whole social media side of things. I mean, if there's any better reason to put everything on private, you is the reason to do it. He doesn't it. do social. Oh, social good. Tools, there you go. Yeah. You can avoid the whole stalker situation. But also, probably like that girl in that don't do everything in front of one mirror, one window in your house. Mm-hmm. She seems to live her entire life in front of one open window. Yeah, that is dumb. He stands outside and watches her. Yeah, that is really <laughs> stupid. Like, where are your curtains? I know, right? And also, she's meant to be broke, but she's living in this massive apartment. And That's just people in New York on television. This is true. But, but they really talk about the fact that it's rent-controlled, and it's, oh, be- it's because okay. she's, she's that teaching assistant. She's teaching assistant, okay. So it's, like, from the university. Notice that weird guy who's constantly stood outside your house, though. With his hand down his trousers. Exactly. Oh, yes. And the, so and the fact that women were writing to him saying that they um, empathised with his character and that they liked his character, I was like... And he's just a window wanker. Sorry, I haven't watched it. No, so he's <laughs> basically in love with this woman. Well, not in love. He sees this girl. He thinks he's in love with her. He stalks her. He, like, right. I don't know, watch it. It's, some, it's, it's worth a watch, for sure. <laughs> do you think you've got a sixth sense for um, <laughs> psychopaths and killers? Like, do you have a heightened awareness when you're walking down the road? Think he looks fishy, just because you've collated all this information and now your hard drive just has like. Possibly, I'm actually trying not to do that because (laughs) I think all I do is my job. I'm like, I'm such a fucking sociopath, and I'm like, stop thinking everyone is a sociopath just because you don't like them. (laughs) Yeah, I think on the tube is where I do most of my psychopath assessment of people <laughs> do you do the luther yawn test to see who else yawns? yeah exactly wow. <laughs> um, but i don't i don't I cycle mostly everywhere so i don't have a, i don't do it as much as i used to which i think is a good thing mm. um because otherwise i'll just drive myself up the wall i think 
But I, yeah, I wa- I tend to watch, if, I, if I'm in like a pub and I see someone who's standing on their own and they've been there for quite a while and they look like they're not really with anyone, mm. I'll keep one eye on that. Interesting. You're good at that. You're, Gavin is very good at being in a situation, not spotting psychopaths, but I just mean you're very good at reading a room because you do tend to take a step back. Gavin's the guy by himself taking a step back. Yeah, that, was, that was me. Sorry about that. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I often think there are some sort of keys that come up in uh, the episodes where you can see uh, the, the, the horrible episode of the woman, the, the young hitchhiker, and you lost both her arms. Mary Vincent. And, but yeah, but she, uh, she almost sensed something was wrong, and I think the kind of the, the key is basically you trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think we're we're very used to being socialised and civilised, mm-hmm. and so we don't would rather risk putting ourselves in a dangerous series than risk being antisocial, causing offence. Mm-hmm. And I don't know spoiler alert. It's been out a, lo- a long time now, but the the girl with the dragon tattoo movie, the one with Daniel Craig. There's a great bit where the killer, he's actually in the killer's house looking for evidence and the killer comes back and so he disappears. And the killer sees him, oh, is that you? Are you just, uh, can I offer you a drink? And he gets him in the house and this guy nearly dies because he didn't want to be rude and refuse a drink. And I think it's interesting that shows you how you know, predators probably do engineer, use social engineering oh, in those situations, but also how we don't want to cause offence. And that's how Ted so Bundy got people in his van. He exactly, pretended to have a broken yeah. arm. Absolutely. It's, Something, uh, uh, particularly as British people, I think, we're so conscious of appearing rude mm-hmm. or ungrateful uh, that yeah. potentially sometimes mm-hmm. we can put ourselves in more danger by doing that than just saying, actually, no, thank you, I'm, I'm going to go home. Definitely, mm-hmm. and that's something, that's a really, really good point that you bring up because this uh, fear of, um, like in the Colleen Stan episode, we talk about where the um, girl, she gets into a car with this family, she feels like something is wrong, but she doesn't want to tell them to stop the car and let her out because she thinks that it might be come across rude or ungrateful. And even in the episode we did um, last week with the Ariel Castro case, these girls that he stops on the street to ask help for, they're young girls. And we say, if you are a parent and you have children, tell your child that if a random adult asks you something on the street, asks you for help, to ignore them and keep going because Mm. no adult is ever going to ask a child for help that they don't know. (laughs) So don't bring your kids up to be so polite. Tell them, no, I don't know who you are. Piss off and keep going because... You don't need to help that person. And you're right. It's um, We've socialized ourselves into being like rabbits ripe for the slaughter, maybe. Yeah, I, I know this guy who was, uh, he was talking about teaching um, self-protection in America. And he said there was um, one of his students, was, was little, she was coming out of her office and, you know, there'd be multi-story parking areas in these offices. And she was the last one to leave and she goes to the lift and there's this chap in the lift. And he thinks, I haven't seen him before. He's a bit dodgy. She's been through this training. She gets in the lift anyway, and then he tries to attack her, and she's able to smack him in the groin with her briefcase and escape. And the guy said, is disappointed. He didn't really take the lessons. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. ...on board because she saw him and thought he, he was, there was something suspicious about him, but rather than act on that, she fell prey to that exactly. She said, I don't want to be, appear rude and not get in the lift. So she got in the lift. Fortunately, she was able to get herself out of the situation, but... That's that, you know, as I say, you know, trust your gut. If your gut says this looks bad. When I moved, when I did my postgrad in journalism, I went and lived in Brighton for six months by myself. And Gavin's present to me was uh, Gavin de Becker's The Gift of of Fear. Fear. And that is a thing, Mm. that that is a book that you want to read. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't, no. But it, it essentially goes through all these cases and in each and every single one, and there's one in particular that always stands out to me is this woman's coming home and she's going into her apartment block and she's carrying two, it's in America, so I just assume that they're like those paper grocery bags. And one, a can falls out and the guy behind her says, oh, I'll help you, and carries the tin, gets into her house. She's subjected to a hideous ordeal. And she just, she knew it right from the second that she looked at him. And then the thing that actually saved her is that he went into the kitchen and he turned up, he turned on the radio and turned on the radio and she was there and she'd been through this horrific attack. And it, it was just that thing of, he, he's, he's going to drown out my screams. So, because what's coming next is going to be the end. And that's what made her flee from her apartment. So <clears throat> it is that all of the cases is that there was a, everyone said, I thought something was fishy, but I suppressed it or I didn't listen to my gut instinct. And I think the thing is that the human body is amazing. And mm. I, I, I think that we're constantly picking up on extra signals that maybe we're not initially processing. Um, and when you're in a situation like that, whether you're in a car accident or something where your life is genuinely at risk, your adrenaline is going so hard that you are no, t- everything is slow. So you have the time to think about these choices that you might not necessarily mm think about if you are not in a high-stress situation. So I think listening to that voice is really important. Mm. It is, and we talk about it in the Colleen Stan episode to come back to that. She knew that something was wrong, but it's the um, having the confidence and the self, I don't know, the self-worth like and the feeling of, I can get myself out of mm. this, to be like, actually, no, thanks. I'm not going to... I'm not going to go along with this because I feel really weird about what's happening here. And that's really difficult. Like, how, wh- at what point do you feel like you could say, if I was in that situation, I'd say, I'm a confident person, but would I be able to look at these people who were giving me a lift and say, no, thanks, I'm not getting back in that car? I don't and know. Like with, like, Colleen Stan or Ariel Castro, cases where, you know, people, women or children get into cars with relative strangers. Ariel Castro 
knew every single girl he abducted. They were in the same year as his children at school. So he wasn't a total unknown to them, which is why they get in the car. And at every abduction, one of his daughters is present at one point. Um, so he's using that as uh, as sort of a safety net. I know you can trust me. You know my daughter. I'm Emily's dad. And same thing with Colleen Stan. Um, she got in the car because there was a woman in the car. Same thing with Fred and Rose West. They were able to pick up these people because they trusted them because there was a woman there. And mm. it wasn't just a man on their own. And yet in the Rose West instance particularly, she was the, from uh, victim report, the more evil of the two. Yeah. And I think that's always a really fascinating when you have couples that kill and the woman's motivation in this, because it's very rare that women are, um, in fact, I don't think I've ever come across a real case apart from maybe um, Rose West, but she has different motivations, but they're not really sexual sadists, if you think of it in the sense of the pain and the pleasure is what gets them off sexually. They're motivated by something else. So when you look at someone like a Myra Hindley or a Rose West, their motivations to me is uh, are really fascinating because what are they really getting out of this? It's easier to pinpoint what the men are getting out of this than what they are. And um, yeah, that's why we've we've covered both the Moore's murders and Fred and Rose West. I think that's why people are so interested in the cases yeah. of women who kill is something that people are very mm -hmm. interested in because we're not necessarily expecting it. So a woman's motives usually and children and, and children, yeah. Usually women kill for revenge, or so they'll poison people, or it's for money. Yeah, it's there's always a very clear cut. I will gain this from this action, which isn't necessarily the most interesting kind of case. But when you look at Myra Hindley and Rose West, it's not that. So it's much more interesting to look into ones like that, I would say, than just someone knocking off their husband because they want his money. Are you going to become ambulance chasers? And like when there's a murder in the news, you're going to be like, yes, content. <laughs> so sorry, that's such poor taste. But No, it's a good question because we've always um, done his, like more cases that there's lots of content out mm. there about so that we can um, process it and then put a story together that we want to tell. But recently we've sort of started to try and do the more timely ones, like the Chris Watts case. That happened in August 2018. Like We just waited until the trial was done, until he was sentenced, and then the the police department released a 2000 word report about with all of the evidence that they could share shared but like 500 pages of those 2000 were redacted mm -hmm. and they released that the day they released it we started research on that case and we're, we're gaining confidence with doing that but I think that is a confidence thing because yeah. you know before I would have just let everyone else have a go at it and then we can add our two cents to it but yeah why not let's let's get ahead of the curve now is it just um, stuff that you access on Google or do you have to go through, like, can you contact, would you contact, like, a police department in America and say, please, can we have access to those files? It's something we want to start doing more of. Again, it's just the time factor right now. The biggest inhibitor to this show having longer episodes, more series episodes, so three, four parters or anything like that. Um, some of the bigger cases that we want to cover is just time. It's mm. not a lack of ambition or drive to do it. It's just we don't have the time. So mm. we pick up cases that we can talk about in an hour and get them out that week. And um, I think with something like contacting people you need to have the dedication to be able to follow up with that and they might take a few chases before they even agree to it it's just the time but really you can get a lot of information out there and mm. i think with red-handed the key thing is we're not um at the moment anyway we're not saying that we're an investigative podcast mm. we are a storytelling uh, podcast around true crime and 
But the next thing that we have in the works this year, which Hannah's going to be leading on, which is sort of doing a long form podcast, so separate from Red Handed. So, you know, like how Serial did. Mm. And I don't know if you guys listen to like Dr. Death. That was fantastic. Teacher's Pet. There are really good ones. Yeah, and Teacher's Pet. Yeah, and we oh, you had a good like point that. about teachers' pet actually, because we were talking earlier about the uh, what was the thing about unsolved cases and the fact it derails things. Oh, um, yeah, I think it's, it can be a double-edged sword sometimes. I was thinking of, um, and there's a few, few I can think of. I've seen it in podcasts and I've seen it on TV as well. If you look at the outcome of making a murderer, there's a lot of people now saying, "I think it was this guy and this guy." And these are people whose names are out there now, and this mm-hmm. has been a huge thing. Um, I think making a murder, actually, it was the biggest petition they've ever had at change.org to the White House to exonerate Stephen Avery after the first series. Wow. So it had a huge impact. And so, yes, names are being thrown out there now. And it can't mean all of these people. Well, I mean, you can't imagine it was. So there are names now in the public eye and people, you know, these guys turning up for job interviews or something and getting, yeah, but you might be a murderer. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I, I I wonder that I think there's a kind of going to be some liability there with some of these. Not you're okay, I think, because you guys do the as you say the more resolved mm-hmm. cases, your storytelling. But I can see there's a couple of cases in the U.S. where podcasts have been throwing up names, and I've got at some point this has to come back on someone. Yeah, you have to be very careful, mm-hmm. especially we don't I, have all of the information. You have mm, to remember yeah. that. I think the the key one now is is teacher's pet because they're they're digging up his his pool now because of the podcast Mm. and I think that one was particularly well done because he just he isn't bringing in multiple different people he's just focusing on one guy and making a case for why he thinks he did it but I see what you mean about pulling up and we've seen it so many times where it's quite easy if someone was in the vicinity of a murder or an assault it isn't that hard to make up a, a series of events that could have led them mm. to do it. You can sort of pluck it out of thin air. So I think you would have to be very, very careful mm-hmm. about just saying, oh, well, you were there at, on yeah, CCTV yeah. at that time, and therefore this means this, 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 when yeah. I think it you probably have to, might not. Yeah, you have to have some sort of like journalistic standards mm. about where you're pointing to and things like this. And I completely take on board your point. Amateur people poking around in true crime cases that are unsolved, pointing the finger willy-nilly at random suspects, that is incredibly dangerous, and they should be really careful about doing anything like that. No, I completely... Um, agree that when you're doing something like that yeah. you should be very very careful because you can potentially ruin someone's life exactly yeah and outing people like things like if it's um pedophiles involved if there's child sexual abuse involved things like that that is i mean that's high stakes you're playing with and i think that people need to be incredibly careful before they do anything like that and i think we've grown a lot in our um podcast itself i think i listen back to some episodes now and the key thing we're trying to do is temper ourselves a bit more in earlier episodes we're like this person definitely did this, this, this. And maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but I think it's not for us to say. And we've learned now how to do that. And that's been our evolution and our sort of growth. And it wasn't necessarily people coming after us saying that. It was me listening to it and thinking, I have no right to say that. I don't have all of the information. You're playing with tidbits of information that you Mm -hmm. have and interpreting it in certain ways. And I think a really interesting case that I, it really pushed me very far, but I'm glad that I did it was the Dali Routier case that we did with the woman who um, is currently on death row in Texas for the murder of her little boy. She says somebody broke into her house, stabbed her two sons, stabbed her and then fled. 
They said, no, you did this, staged the crime scene, and you're going, you should be put on trial, death penalty. And there's things that point in either direction with that case. And I really started thinking she didn't do it. Then I thought she did do it. Then I thought she didn't. Then I realized when we're doing it, it doesn't matter what I think. It's about presenting both things. Mm. And I think, again, with what you were saying about um, making a murderer and now there's a petition for that, I think anything you're listening to, just keep your eyes open that as much as that person may not try to be biased, and maybe they are, everyone has an agenda Mm. with things like this, Mm. even with making a murderer. There was so much uproar about that that they leave a lot of things out of that documentary to weight it because the narrative is more interesting if you have a, a, a movement behind it if you have a cause for why you're doing this and it's not as interesting if you're saying well maybe he did it maybe he didn't do it it's more interesting to say this is an injustice mm. this is a miscarriage of justice yeah. and that's what gets people riled up and you need to be aware that what is this person's true agenda what have they left out to make it because any of our cases you could leave out huge swathes of information not be lying but make someone look far more guilty than maybe mm. they actually would look in a court of law. So it's... yeah, It's you're looking right. for it's reasonable doubt. I yes, think that's what that's we're doing, it. is mm. we're always yeah. asking, with the, the limited information that we have mm-hmm. on this case, do I have a reasonable doubt about their conviction? Yeah. And that's what we're after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you, you, start, you strike a good balance in that. And the, but I, I think, you know, you're probably... You're, 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 you guys are going to be fine, but I was thinking there are definitely yeah. some... There's one particular podcast I can think of in the US which certainly... Um, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know what the the etiquette is whether you say the names or not, but it was a uh, they the case was actually resolved, but in the course of the podcast, and the podcast brought a lot of attention to it, but um, in the course of doing that, there was a, a, a missing teacher yeah, and a former beauty queen, so it had that kind of aspect to it, and you know, ex boyfriends' names were thrown up and all mm-hmm. sorts of things and. The guy who actually has been arrested and being charged with this thing was a guy whose name never appeared in the podcast. No one ever mentioned him. But, of course, they were having, they were having people phone up their podcast. Hey, this is Mike from Tampa. I think it was the boyfriend. And <laughs> he looks shady as hell. Yeah. And, and it is, so Absolutely. these guys would still be under suspicion if they hadn't actually got the person who did it. 100%. And, sure. and that whole thing of he looks like he did it. Yeah. That's something we come up so much against, where especially when it's a crime that's in the media. People constantly are like, he didn't look sad enough. It looks a bit too sad. Mm. Feel like they're lying about this. Like we're imperfect beings in our behaviour, but we're also completely imperfect in our assessment of other people's behaviour. Mm. That's something again we've tried to steer away from. You can do all the body language analysis, all the micro expressions, all the frowning and the crying. It doesn't really most of the time it doesn't mean anything. Mm. You cannot tell from things like that. So again, it comes back to that trying to be as dispassionate as we can and objective. I would say that with the Chris Watts um, interview, though, you can tell something's not right. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, even if he didn't do it, even if he did it or didn't do it, yeah. you can look at that. And the amount of times he says last night as mm. well, just, uh, you know, have you listened where he, I miss my kids. I, I, oh, yeah, I did hear that. And yeah, it was just. They've been gone for like six hours. Yeah. yeah. Really weird. He's, he's, he's a terrible killer. <laughs> yeah, he was. He wasn't. Clever. He didn't even try to get away with it, I don't think. It's just so obvious. I don't know what his mind game was. I thought maybe he thinks, oh, I'll, I'll get away with this. It'll all be fine. I'll just go live in this other world. He's just not, I just don't think he seems like he's very bright. No. I would imagine no. he's got an incredibly low IQ. Probably. Probably. 
that's the thing. That's the other myth that um, serial killer movies feed us. This idea of the incredibly, um, like the Hannibal Lecter-esque, like genius, high IQ. No, most of them aren't like that. Most of them are just bumbling along. And if they get away <laughs> with it, it's because of incompetence or because something slipped through the cracks. It's rarely because they're criminal geniuses. Like yeah, very, really very rare. It's because they kill people they don't know and because of people not connecting the dots mm -hmm. and because of incompetence. It's not because they are super geniuses. It's very rare that they are that smart at all. Mm. I mean, that's how to get away with it. Just kill someone that you, it has absolutely <laughs> okay. no connection to you at all. The Emma Gunn show would like to distance themselves <laughs> from <laughs> techniques of how to get away with it. <laughs> Not condoning it. <laughs> Just saying. But it's an interesting thing to have observed through doing how nearly a hundred shows is that actually where where it come where there's maybe doubt or something is you you obviously must begin to see patterns. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, I think there's we definitely compare cases to other cases, but in terms of patterns with, I'm not sure. I I suppose the most obvious pattern that we see is men preying on women I suppose but other than that I can't think of I don't know can you think of a pattern I think you can just make connections between certain types of killer mm -hmm. and um, that's why we're trying to keep a broad as possible in terms of we don't try to focus just on serial killers because that is the obsession that people have mm. and it is it's really rare. It's really, really rare. Serial killings, like, if you watch TV, if you watch Netflix, they would make it seem like there is a serial killer in every alley that's waiting to pounce on you. Like, that's just not the fact. Serial killings are really rare. They're really complicated investigations. They're really difficult investigations. What is much more common is people just get murdered by people they know. That is the much more common thing that we see. And that's just something that isn't talked about as much because it's not as... It's not as fun, it's not as exciting, it's just really sad and dark. Mm. But yeah, if you are killed, it's most likely going to be murdered by somebody you know, unfortunately. So weirdly, there's me avoiding true crime because I'm like, I know it's scary, I don't want to go outside <laughs> if I know all this stuff. No. But actually, you dig really deep into it and you're like, actually, I'm probably a bit more comfortable out in the world and I just look a bit more closely at the people that I'm friends with. <laughs> no, this is really interesting because actually they've done so many surveys now, especially recently since true crime feels like such a trend, mm. that especially most of our listeners are women. Most of the people who consume true crime are fascinated by true crime are women. But most of the people who are victims of crime in most senses are women. And I think it is because of feeling of maybe, at least for me, maybe if I know as much as I can, mm. I can arm myself in some way um, or spot the signs in some way to protect myself. Mm. But yeah, it is it's overwhelming. Like, what was it? Like over 70% of our listeners are women? Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why true Same crime... Same beauty podcast. <laughs> <laughs> true crime speaks to women, I think, because mm -hmm. generally women are afraid quite a lot of the time. And mm. it's sad, but I think that's why it uh, has been taken on so wholeheartedly in the past few years. Yeah. And, it, you know, we've said this quote many times on the podcast, but I think it really does uh, scream as to why. And there's that great Margaret Atwood quote about men are scared that women will laugh at them and women are scared that men will kill them. Mm. And I think that there is that feeling. Like, you know, I was I, I talk about this with my coworkers or my brother and I'm like, if you're walking down the street at night in the dark and you hear somebody behind you, what do you do? Keep walking. What do you do? Immediately I'm on alert. Mm. My headphones are out. I might even cross the road if you look particularly like you're too close to me. It's 
that we are um, we are wired differently and I don't know if it's biological if it's social because we're told oh you'll get attacked you'll get attacked someone's going to kill you but it's a fact mm. Mm. as a non-woman who enjoys <laughs> true crime <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gavin um, you you really did sing, single out red handed to me and said they really do their research really well but you're a big consumer of uh, true crime podcasts and I know you were interested to know what the other whether it's true crime or other podcasts that Hannah and Saruti listen to yeah, well, I'll say uh, podcasts get me through the commute. So, mm-hmm. but they always wonder then with the the people who are doing the shows, what's on your feed? That's a really good question. Um, I actually discovered podcasting quite late, so only a couple of years ago, just before we met. And I think my favorite podcast is probably Last Podcast on the Left, which oh, is I love those yeah, guys. which is like <laughs> those, that's the one we bonded yeah. over. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so I listen to them, and I'll listen to like the serialized ones that come out. Like I listened to Doctor Death recently, which was fantastic in my opinion. It's really really good. Um, and yeah, I also listen to quite a lot of like um, economics and business podcasts, which is less like fun, but I do find them really interesting and. Yeah, it's a good mix of stuff, really. I think, for me, same, last podcast on the left, Race Chaser is the one that I will, like, be excited to listen to on a Wednesday. I'm like, oh, yes. Um, And then I kind of dip in and out of other ones. Harmontown I listen to. And then what, what did I listen to this morning? Oh, that one about oh, genetic yeah. sexual attraction. Yeah, listen to a, a casual genetic sexual attraction podcast on my way here this morning. Meesh. Um, research, I promise. Yeah, <laughs> next week's episode, watch this space. Yeah. But no, on the way in, I was listening to your interview with um, Mary Portis. And actually, I it, this is the thing I guess you look for from podcasts. The reason I discovered them was because I was traveling on my own. And I was... I was with my friend for three months and that's like, yay, great. And then she left and I was suddenly very much alone in a different country traveling. And it was fantastic, don't get me wrong. There's only so much music you can listen to Mm. before you feel like you are just losing your mind. And that's when I discovered podcasts. And I actually started by listening to something called The History of Westeros, which was a Game of Thrones (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. And then my taste has slowly evolved. But you're looking for a feeling of like connection to something. Mm. And whether it's an inspiration, whether it's just a story you want to um, tune out to. And honestly, listening to the Mary Portis one and the uh, tips she was giving, especially about women in work and all this, I was like getting a bit welling up on Mm. the train. And I was like this is crazy because I'm not a crier in life. But I was like, you podcasts have that power, I think, to move you because you do it so, well, I at least do it very solo, mm. like on my own, in my own time. In the in the media world, in the sense of when I've been working with brands recently and they've been saying, we really want to explore podcasts because it's private discovery. That's what they're calling it. Oh, really? It's kind of like, a, particularly for brands who want to, sell product or whatever they're saying it's very personal but it's private discovery I used to call it passive learning Mm. you could do it while you're doing something else I like that phrase I think that is how I consume podcasts like privately I think I discovered them totally by accident Um, I I used to live in Korea so I was in Korea in my apartment cleaning my apartment I had YouTube on I used to listen to loads of story tapes when I was younger like constantly all the time Um because I'm super dyslexic. So I had, I found one on YouTube that I'd listened to as a, a kid because I was living in a different country, feeling a bit homesick, and I was like, oh, I'll just put a bit of Carrie's War on. Um, and then the next YouTube video that came up was a This American Life episode, and I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and then Serial was the next mm. one, and mm. I was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> what is this? I text my sister, and I was like, 
do you know about podcasts? She was like, Hannah, everybody knows about serial. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's how I discovered them. But I didn't discover the like breadth of them really until last year, I think. Yeah. Because people, in terms of like discoverability within podcasting, it's difficult because mm. you only listen to them if someone recommends them yeah. to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not convinced that anyone particularly looks at the charts really or mm. how you're finding them on the like... Podcasters look at the charts. Yeah. <laughs> the only people who look at the charts are the people with their own podcast, for sure. Um, I'm obsessive. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the screenshot, same. Screenshot, screenshot. Literally. <laughs> our, our WhatsApp chat is just a screenshot, screenshot of where we are in the charts that week. It's constant. Um, but yeah, you're going to get recommended by someone you know and trust saying, I think this one is really good, give it a go. Mm. And at the beginning of my podcast journey, um, no one was recommending them. <laughs> so I just ended up listening to Endless Infinite Monkey Cage because I thought it was the only <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Still great though. Well, I was introduced to podcasts by Gavin. The very same. The very yeah. same. <laughs> who, did, who did my artwork and then told me, go and do your own. Yeah, so I've, 60% is basically down to me then. So. Yeah, facilitated <laughs> by. Clearly, facilitated, that's it. I would like to throw that in, facilitator. Yes, if ever I go home and I'm like, oh, this really amazing thing happened to the podcast, you'll just walk past and go, facilitated by. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. You're welcome. That's it, yeah. That's it. That's my, my usually catchphrase at the end of it. Yeah. But you, you got me into Rogan. Yeah, I think it's, I think, well, I... I found them through being interested in various characters and then you look on YouTube or something and you find, okay, someone's done a long-form interview here. What's this? And then you find out it's a podcast and you get the podcast app and, and kind of went from there. And so I only have a couple of true crime podcasts on the on the feed, but yeah, last podcast on the left and those conspiracy guys are kind of fairly mm -hmm. similar. Um, Irish guys, I love that one. Yeah, Rogan and, and those sorts of things. I think it's, I just think the long-form format lends itself to conversations aren't really being had elsewhere i mean you can't read a magazine article that's going to go into the same depth as an hour-long podcast and or if you watch a conversation on a current affairs program they're basically winding up two politicians to go at each other like bulldogs there's just an inch of point scoring whereas you know people are going <coughs> to sit down for an hour and two hours so i think that's why i think the medium appeals and um and it's free up. yeah exactly yeah free to download free mm. to enjoy As when you get if anyone ever criticizes you <laughs> my my in my head if I get an email or someone says something and I feel like it's a bitchy comment about the podcast in my head I never type this back mm -hmm. I just I just <laughs> internally go thank you so much for your unsolicited uh, email about this content that you consume for free yeah exactly I mean it's something that I find really difficult I'm a very emotional person um so when someone says something no I've got better at it but so it's a quicker process now from like, I'm going to burn it to the ground and I'm never doing it again, to, oh, actually, it's not that bad, it's just one person. That is a quicker process now, but it used to just knock me out for weeks if someone said something horrible. Um, so you just have to, it's exactly that, it's unsolicited critiques. Yeah. Well, well, to be honest, though, there are times like I got an email once at like five o'clock in the morning, a Saturday morning, and I was awake and this woman just said... Um, your sound quality is not very good. And within 15 minutes, I had bought new kit. And actually it was it was for the best, but it was when it's constructive like that and you think actually if someone's not tuning in because of something I'm doing that I could change and I wouldn't have to change anything else, then obviously you take on board. Yeah, exactly. If someone's being kind of bitchy, you're like... No it's way. trying to figure out where the constructiveness is in it, I mm. think is something I find quite difficult. Um, but 
yeah, absolutely. If it's constructive feedback, I absolutely want it. It just takes me a little bit of time <laughs> to come round to it, I think, at the moment. But I'm working on it. It's my that's New like, resolution. That's like criticism in life anyway, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> criticism in podcasts and life are fairly similar. You have to smile. Absolutely. Say thank you. Definitely. <laughs> I think it's just, I don't know, I just feel like if you're going to, don't read the reviews. I don't read our reviews ever. I just don't read them. I just don't think it's particularly helpful. The nice, said to Hannah, the nice things that people say in there about us, I already know. So I don't need to read all the horrible things that people <laughs> say about us. And I kind of think, I disagree with your opinion. I think what we're doing is fine. But when you give constructive criticism, I'm more than happy. If we make a mistake, mm. absolutely, because... Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, you should tell us, and we should work on that. That's uh, And it's through those kind of constructive criticism that I feel our growth has happened. But there's certain things that people say that I'm like, that's just categorically not true. We get accusations of being not em empathetic enough. And I think... You're confusing empathy with sympathy. You mm. want us to be on the podcast and say, oh, this is awful. This is so sad that this happened to this person. You take our empathy in how much research we put into this case, into how much time we dedicated into finding out what happened to this person and the miscarriages of justice. And just because we're not sobbing as we tell you the story, don't accuse us of not being empathetic. Oh, but you can accuse us. You can accuse us of whatever, but I don't have to take that on board. Mm. So I think it's just finding the the line and it's how you respond to it whether it's internally that's totally just something you have to deal with but I cannot I cannot with the people who screenshot negative reviews mm, yeah and then post it on social media and say how dare you I hate mm. this and I'm like nothing positive is going to come from and that you chose you made the choice as podcasters we made the choice to put ourselves out there in the public we could make the choice to never give our opinion and just give the facts mm. you could make the choice to never ask any sort of difficult reaching questions but then where would be the, the other people listening would then stop listening. <laughs> so you make a choice to listen to a podcast that isn't just the facts. And we make a podcast, we made the choice to make a podcast that isn't just the facts. Someone is going to be upset in there and we just have yeah. to deal with it. And something that Sarita said to me when I was having a bit of a breakdown about something nasty someone had said. Um, she said, you know, if 50,000 people are in a stadium and you stand up and say something, one of them's not going to like it. Think about it like that. So I think that's, but you're always going to listen to the person who says the nasty thing, aren't you? But it's trying to get past that mm. is the big task. I thought you were going to say there can be 100 people in a room and if 99 don't you believe in you, but Bradley Cooper does. <laughs> I wanted to say it, but I, I wasn't sure if I'd get the exact quote. And I was like, no, I'm going to get pulled up on that. Right. It's been said. That's it's good. Said. But um, I think, yeah, that's the key thing with um, taking on criticism and taking on feedback. It's just that... We can't please everyone. We're not trying to. If it's not a little bit divisive or controversial in what we're saying, then we're not saying anything. Mm. We're not challenging anything. So whatever. Whatever. Yeah. And I can sleep if I know I really meant what I said. Mm. Yeah. The empathy point's interesting because that's one thing I thought you get the balance right because there's certainly some I've listened to an episode or two and it kind of feels almost voyeuristic or something unpleasant or something, okay, I don't want to listen to this one. But I remember, like, going back to the Amy Bradley case, I can't remember which one of you was that said it early on, who names their kid Brad Bradley? Yeah, that was that me. Is, <laughs> that is actually quite funny. <laughs> but then, you know, when you're actually talking about the details of the case and the impact of it, you know, then it's all serious. So I think you seem to know when... You, so you, you, you walk a line, but you, you, you seem to know exactly where, 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 which side of the line to be on for whatever you're discussing at the time. So yeah, the key that. thing is not making jokes about victims. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just the, the number one rule. And never victim blaming. That's mm. the worst thing you can do is laugh at the victims, do victim blaming. And I think actually, you know what you say about the uh, treading a fine line, like 
again, it's something that has just happened by accident. We never sat down and said, this is our house style. This mm. is what we're never going to say. This is what we're absolutely yeah. saying. It's just happened. We edit heavily. We listen back to it. We're like, this isn't appropriate. Or I don't know, this feels a bit, maybe like it's not okay. Because the conversations you have, if we're at the pub, you thing is, if you have a conversation with somebody and they say something that offends you, you can immediately call them out mm. and they can justify themselves. Oh no, that's not what I meant. I meant this. It's done. When it's a one-way conversation, which mm. is what a podcast is, there's no opportunity for us to say, no, that's not what I meant. I meant this. And then it can be misconstrued by people. And I think the other thing with podcasting that's really interesting, as you said, you know, you just decided to do this. We just decided to do mm. this. We're not people that have cut our teeth in the world of entertainment and been burnt, tried to be on stage, had loads of negative uh, critique from people who know what they're talking about. Mm. And when you listen to people like last podcast, they have had that. Mm. So they come almost with an advantage because they did stand up, they get heckled, mm. they get told that they're rubbish, they get knocked back. We never had that. So mm. then to put yourself out there and then get negative feedback, there is a learning curve for how you deal with that when you're not people that have ever had to deal with that kind of yeah. thing. It's just bullying on a different platform. In many instances, I think. We've definitely had, we've had one guy who was just consistently trolling us. He would update his um, review. i about him. Uh, he was called the blue-eyed devil as well. So I was like, okay, you you own that. You take that back. <laughs> so good for you. But um, he would um, update his review on our, uh, on Apple Podcasts every week that we released a new episode. So, so it would go, go back, back to, to the top. top. And he would add to it about that week's episode and how much he hated it. And we were like, yeah, You're still listening now, aren't and you? And he would be like, I accidentally listened to this one. And we were like, You're such a freak. <laughs> thank you so much for your download. Exactly, exactly. It still counts. Still counts. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much. <laughs> I do imagine you have some kind of there's some armchair detective who's like fact checking all your stuff. He's got a, a blog with a black background and white text, and he's like, Dear so called um, red handed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you do get the, well, actually, yeah. you do get those people, but it's quite rarely yeah. about the facts of the case. Yeah. When we get well actually, it will be on like a throwaway statement that we have that hasn't gone into the research or the script writing mm -hmm. and we just something when we're on a bit of a roll. That's the stuff that people pick us up on. And I'm quite proud of that. I think mm -hmm. it's very rare. Um, I've totally jinxed myself now. It's very rare mm -hmm. that's in the proper gears of the case that will get something incorrect. Mm. I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the thing we told ourselves from the start, and actually that Sophie here at ACOS told us, which was when she first picked us up, we went and met her for coffee, and she was like, you guys ha don't have any negative reviews. And we were like, we know. And then we, and she was like, you d that's the only way to keep that up is to not grow. With growth come the negative reviews. Yeah. And the only way to not get them is to not have more people listening. So we're fine with it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It means more people are listening. I was with someone the other day. She's not a podcaster, but she's just grown massively on social media in the last 18 months. And as I was with her, we were looking at DMs because she had said she was coming on the podcast. And she says, look, someone sent a really lovely note. And then someone else had said, I really just can't stand your content. Blah, blah, blah. And I, my friend is uh, an agent and she is my agent. In, uh, she's my agent. And um, I told her about a shitty email I got from someone and she said just delete it because even in your inbox it's in your world just delete just delete just delete just delete and focus on what you're doing which is quite it's basically what my mother used to say to me about bullies just ignore them and be yourself exactly <laughs> I think we've got enough to do without worrying about responding to or emotionally dealing with every single person that gives us a bit of negative feedback I think just 
be reasonable, focus mm. on the content and get on with it. Yeah, and That's it wouldn't be motto. where it is if it wasn't reasonably good to some people yeah. most of the time. So mm. I'll try and yeah, focus exactly. on that. Well, I think everyone should, uh, if you have a taste for true crime, definitely give Right Handed a listen because I do think it's so well put together and I thoroughly enjoy them, which sounds like the wrong kind of statement. But you appreciate, we appreciate, appreciate them. Thank I do. You. I really, really appreciate thank them. Thank you very much. And like, again, I am sorry about the DMs where I'm listening and no, you live. No, love please. it. Live DM. <laughs> we'll just exchange numbers now and I'll just do it on WhatsApp <laughs> and you can just meet the group absolutely <laughs> um, I will put all the links to uh, you guys uh, the podcast social media handles etc etc in the show notes I won't put any links to Gavin in the show notes because <laughs> Gavin is off the doesn't grid. have any That's it. no social media links. she just live in a hut it. in the woods it's a you know a big Faraday cage <laughs> it's a smart way to live your life Gavin just living <laughs> listening to podcasts and uh, living off the land. Don't, do you ever feel like oh, I really want to tweet at this podcast and say something? Do you do you feel that urge? No, he gets me to get them on the <laughs> show. Yeah, <there> <laughs> <laughs> so cross one off the list. Yeah, last, po- last podcast on the left to come on next week. So, oh, yeah. great! Have us um, back too then. <laughs> can we come too? <laughs> but um, not really. No, I mean I did used to be on Facebook, and eventually I just kind of got more and more fed up with it and thought this is a waste of time, uh, and. Uh, as ever with these things, your mileage may vary. Uh-huh. So then I, I kind of decided, um, and the more I read about social media, the less I think it's a good thing to be on. So. But I'll obviously appreciate that when you have this this outlet, you need a way to interact with people. So it's, it's different. I think it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, since I'm not doing any of that, I, don't, <laughs> I can I can happily step away. Yes. But just answer your text messages in a more timely fashion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Hannah, Saruti, and Gavin. Thank, thank you. Before you go, I just had a quick question. If you liked the fact that we did a cross-pod with Red Handed and there are any other podcasts you would like me to cross-podinate with, why not drop me an email at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com to let me know or slip into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns or, or in the Facebook group. You can always put your suggestions and share the links there. If I can get people on the show, I absolutely 100% will. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.